You are listening to Get Real Podcast. What we're going to do today is something that was bound to happen. We are going to interview an artist, Barry Dreyer. His project is Reflection of Glory. And when I got an email response back from him, he's like, hey, unpastor Glenn. It kind of took me by surprise <laughs> and found out that he has listened. Yes, we do have listeners, people. At least one that listened at one time. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> we have Barry Dreyer from Reflection of Glory. Barry, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys? Doing really doing well. Good. Reflection good. of Glory. Uh, everything that I've seen that you do with your project just has a a finesse to it and i really like that and you're in the symphonic metal zip code i think that's kind of how we uh cross paths a little bit but you did not start out with symphonic metal you started out as a singer songwriter can you share with our listeners a little bit about your journey in music where you started and how you made that turn to symphonic metal oh sure yeah because uh on the surface it seems like quite a turn doesn't it it does <laughs> <laughs> yeah but as far as getting my start in music, I mean, music has always been a part of my life. I've been in music lessons, you know, all throughout growing up. Uh, in college, I got a music degree, and uh, now I actually work in music ministry. That's that's my day job. But the transition from going from, you know, singer-songwriter, just the guy with the guitar, to, to doing the symphonic metal thing, uh, that was a conscious decision. You know, I've loved both styles of music for a long time and uh, it's not as big of a change I think as sometimes it seems on the surface one of the songs that sucked me into symphonic metal was the Islander by Nightwish which is very much you know that. it's 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 got that acoustic vibe to it and then the uh, I also thought of it once I decided hey let's do some symphonic metal it was a little bit of it was a challenge you know playing the metal guitar is a lot harder than just strumming some chords and uh, doing the full orchestrations and mixing and producing all that is much more uh, involved than just doing a guy and guitar and so it was kind of a challenge to myself like hey can I even do this and uh, can I do it well and for me I guess the jury's still out on that so we'll see well, if you didn't do it well, you wouldn't be on the Get Real podcast. So, <laughs> Well, there you go. That's, that's the ultimate standard. We're very particular about who we who we bring on. It's not just anybody that can carry a tune somewhat in a wheelbarrow and strum a, strum a guitar. <laughs> yeah. uh, notice how my music has never been featured on this show. So. What he really yeah. means is, like, if you have a Christmas album, you, you pretty much get on. Right? <laughs> oh, okay. Christmas. Well, good, Glenn, good thing I did that. Yeah, Glenn. Yeah. Lo hey, I love it. I love that bass work. Uh, the, the ones that I was listening to, it was like, that was really beautiful. Well, thanks. How does the singer-songwriter, how, how has that helped you in composing, and that's the word I'm going to use, composing symphonic metal? Well, I mean, there's some things that are still the same, no matter what. Like, the, the song structure, how you go from verse, choruses, bridge, hooks, whatever, um, harmonies, chord progressions, all of that is still the same. So in that sense, I, I'm still a singer-songwriter, but just the icing on top of the cake is different. But all that has less to do with being a singer-songwriter and more to do with just being a musician. 
because you don't have to be in any one style of music to have a good grasp of those fundamental things uh, that that makes the song work. Music is music is is really what it comes down to in, yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then when you have the spirit moving through you, inspiring you, that's one of the things that I've come to realize in myself. Yeah, the zip code I hang out in a lot is symphonic metal, the metal genre, but I appreciate everything that's just good music, especially music that glorifies Jesus. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the genre is. If it glorifies the Lord and there's talent and gifting behind it, I'm all all into it. I mean, we've interviewed soul musicians, gospel musicians. We've interviewed R&B, hip hop, and the thread that runs through all of it is you just really hear the heart of the Lord and a heart towards the Lord in that particular music that they're doing. It doesn't matter what the genre is. Yeah. On your website, you make a very profound statement. I would not expect anything less than profound from somebody who does (laughs) symphonic metal. You put this on here, and I I did some thinking about it. You said that music is a reflection of the musician and the musician's life, and mine, meaning yours, is no different. So what does the message, the structure, the sound of your music say about you in particular, especially in the context of symphonic metal? There's a lot going on there. That's a tough question, Glenn. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure, Barry. And you've got two minutes to answer it. No No pressure, Barry. (laughs) Just, yeah, no uh, pressure, especially since he's uh, quoting my own quote back at me. Yeah, no kidding, <laughs> this guy. So I better have a good answer, right? <laughs> um, obviously, that that whole quote has to do with the concept behind the the artist's name, reflection of glory that that I chose intentionally. You know, I didn't use my own name like lots of Christian artists do, but I I wanted to communicate this idea that. This music is a reflection of something. It's not about me, but it's about something else. And, uh, you know, the message of that is most, well, I should hope that it's most obvious. Uh, As a Christian, I'm called to use whatever I have to serve and to honor God. And uh, how, how could I write about anything else after what Jesus has done to save me, to change my life, uh, to take me out of what I used to be and to put me on a path towards growing to be more like him. And uh, I think for all musicians, you know, we we write what we know, uh, whether what is true in our lives or what we want to be true for our lives or whatever captures our imagination. And, uh, you know, for Christians, our our faith, our Christianity is supposed to consume our lives. And and kind of be present in everything we do. So basically what is happening is what God is doing in you is what's coming out of you that you express yeah. through your music is, is what I'm picking up on. Yeah, and, and there's, a, there's one verse in particular that always comes to my mind where Jesus says, you know, it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. That's very true, and that's, that's true in song. And that leads me to my next question. I wanted to get your perspective on this because without question, you've been inspired by some of my heroes in the metal genre, Camelot being one of them. Nice. Oh, yeah. Nightwish. And what is it that you hear coming out of them that they're reflecting uh, from your perspective? Ah, well, that's... 
Man, Glenn and these questions, man. Yeah, I'm sorry. Listen, hey, Barry, I apologize, dude. I don't even know this guy. I just kind of wandered in off the street, and this guy with all this sharp Give questions. Give me a week vacation, but, uh, and look what happens. I yeah, yeah. Get back on my A game. Lithos cried, digging in with the scalpel. No, but it's great. All right, Barry, think, let's I hear think it. That question, uh, I think that question works so much better for, like, symphonic metal bands than it does for like a lot of pop artists that are kind of the commercially, you know, the music machine is turning them out and they're not really, there's not a whole lot of substance to their music where no. for Camelot and Nightwish and Epica, like there, there's so much meat to what they do. Mm. And, uh, you know, each, each band has got a different flavor, a different twist. Even, you know, if you think about the career for any of those bands, there's been different flavors for different stages of their careers. And, uh, like, I, I think of a band like Epica, where they, they deal with really, like, high philosophy, these really grand, esoteric ideas in their in their lyrics. And that really fits the style of symphonic metal really well, because it's got, you know, the grand scale of the music and the associations with the classical academic culture and, uh, you know, dealing with the nature of reality and humanity, all of that kind of, that goes together. And they're writing what they, as humans, what, what captivates, what uh, their minds go to and obsess on and ponder. And, uh, you know, that, that shows up in, in their lives as songwriters and as musicians. And that's spiritual. That is spiritual. It's like mm-hmm. you're sitting there under the sky dealing with consciousness and um, singing about it. Yeah. That's that's spiritual in a way. Yeah. It's interesting how you bring up Epica because I, I'm, of course, a big Epica fan and have been for several years. It was a band that kind of had to grow on me a little bit because... Yeah. I had to same, work through some... Of, yeah, I had to work through some of the stuff that uh, the growls... And God yeah. brought me to a place where I understood what that was and what that was expressing. And you have to study their music, their lyrics to understand not what they're saying, but what they're trying to convey. It's it's an academic work to do. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna throw this on and enjoy a, you know, Epica album for, <laughs> for a little bit to kind of unwind. It's a mental challenge to of course, I mean the guitar riffs are great and everything like that. But it's it's a work, and then once you finally grasp onto where they're going with it, one of the things that I found very interesting about them is just I think it was about a year ago they released some re-released some of their music as jazz music. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, and I was like, wait a minute, what's this left turn at Albuquerque? And again, yeah. <laughs> that's that's really spiritual. It's like now we're going to express it the way that we want to, and what's stirring in us, and. You know what? Quite frankly, we really don't care about the genre. We're just going to do what we're going to do because well, we're musicians. It kind of fits, really, to me. I mean, it, you think about jazz, not everybody gets it. and mm-hmm. it. But if you do get it, it's like a little, it's over here, right? And almost like if you're honestly dealing with all this serious subject matter, it's a little bit off the beaten path. Yeah. And people don't uh-huh. like dealing with things that aren't just sugary sweet or aren't yep. just uh, self-actualizing or yep. just petting you, right? And to branch off of that and get to wax elaborate or to get like 
a little bit. That that totally makes sense. Why a more complex genre would fit Epica. Yeah. I get it. I totally. And jazz is very mathematical. I love jazz. I don't know why, but some people hate it. <laughs> I, I love it, and I don't know why. I'm not that good at math. Yeah. I was good at trigonometry. Were you? Yeah, I was. Actually. I was horrible at all math classes. <laughs> oh, really? I, I was. Calculus wouldn't. I wasn't a friend of calculus. I wasn't a friend of any of it. Barry, you're good at math, right? Are you good at math? Uh, you know, math's not my favorite. Okay. Okay. Hey. hey. Now yeah, we have true fellowship. Did you feel it <laughs> yeah. in the room? We have true fellowship right now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and with that expression that's coming out of these other bands, such as Camelot, Nightwish, Epica, is there a particular song that they've done that you're like, whoa, this is so close to the gospel truth. I wish I could run over there and tell them the rest of the story. Or it just kind of stirs in you. It's like, oh, they're they're almost there. You know, I just need to pray them through just a little bit more. Is there one particular song that really just strikes you that way? Oh, you know, that's a that's a tough one. Because um, just, you know, first gut reaction, uh, it seems more often to me that those, those bands are pretty far away from the gospel. Yeah, you know, I think of Nightwish, especially in their... And their last two most recent albums have really explored naturalism, and some of their songs have been pretty um, explicitly anti-Christian uh, in their in their content. But uh, think think in general, Camelot draws the most on Christian themes and imagery, and probably gets uh, the closest to you know the what what the content of the gospel is and i think if i were to actually get to having a conversation uh it would be easiest to start with camelot and to to use their songs as a platform to discuss the gospel because at least they use the kind of language that connects with gospel ideas like the idea of sacrifice on behalf of someone else and the themes of guilt versus innocence and you know heaven versus hell you know the salvation versus condemnation. They they deal with those concepts uh, and in a depth that I think the other bands in the genre don't go to. One of my favorite Camelot songs is "Abandoned." Oh yeah, uh, the one that Roy Kahn did with them. And it's interesting you say that because the former lead singer of Camelot was saved what in 2010 Roy Kahn Oh really Yes yeah. yes yeah he got yes. born oh, again no way. Man. Yeah he got born again and so to me yeah. the best vocalist I love Roy <laughs> Kahn I mean he, That's he can awesome. sing dude yeah, yeah he really yeah. got saved Yeah he was miraculous well, you, know, you know what Barry it's like I remember Glenn and I have been to a few uh, Nightwish shows and when we were in them and they were doing what uh Forms most endless beautiful. Forms en- most beautiful. Endless forms most beautiful. And they have yeah. the quintessential British, you know, smart guy, Richard Dawkins, you know, yeah. doing this narrative and all this. And and neo-Darwinism is ridiculous. It's moronic, you know, to me. But the <laughs> fact that they were looking. Yeah. Because most people don't even look. They're so busy on their phone. They don't look at an ant. They don't look at all the nerdery around them that would stoke the fear of God, right? And the th- yeah. the fact that they were like completely stoked off biology and all of all of these forms and space and just all of this different stuff, I got chill bumps. Even though it was using Dawkins, which I think is some God bless him. I just I I I think it's nonsense. It's ridiculous. 
um, yeah. to even suggest that everything fell together. The eye created Absolutely. itself. It's ridiculous. Impossible. But the fact that they even were celebrating creation, even in such brazen ignorance, chill bumped me out, dude. Yeah. It really yeah. did. And it's so different from what we grew up with. With Twisted Sister, <laughs> glam rock, and glam rock. Oh, what we put up with until Pearl Jam came and rescued us. It was like our, our um, probably Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses. But everything before then, it was like lipstick and, and it was just, horrible. Yeah, three belts and just like we're not gonna take, take it. it. And we didn't take it. No. We just we held on. But yeah, but. Uh, didn't you experience that yeah, little I did, bit of chill I did bumpery? Too. And I, but, I still do. And because if I hear Richard Dawkins, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. But I look at it, I'm not at all um, intimidated by elegant-sounding neo-Darwinists as they try to make me seem as if I'm a moron for believing in Jesus. You <laughs> yeah. know what I'm saying? It doesn't bother me in the least right. bit. I think it's stupid. I, I think of like... How did the eyeball progress? Like, the and I'm going to write a song about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Typically, but it's like you know, think about the what if you were the first like uh, creeping thing to get an eyeball? Just one, not two. You get one like hanging off of you. You know, yeah. I've heard somebody say like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that was easy to get a date with like a halfway yeah. formed eyeball <laughs> hanging off of your head. I ain't you know, or maybe heads were new. It's like you're the first guy on the block with a head and an eyeball, and you're like, hey, baby. You know, it's like sexual reproduction is nonsense. You would have been a freak. It's not going to happen. So, anyway, I'm who's sorry the, for the Who's tangent. that guy over there that hasn't had his head evolve yet? Barry, my, my only gift, the only thing I really bring to the Get Real Prod podcast is Glenn is a linear dozer. And he makes wonderful notes. And my whole goal in life is just to throw Glenn off his notes. It makes for better radio. It's been going on now yeah. for how many years? Uh, quite, a quite a few. Yeah. Quite a few. I just, so he is organized, and I try to destroy that. And that works. And it does. It really it, works. It, 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 it really does. So really I will does, destroy yes. you. Okay. <laughs> One of the other things that I find very interesting and unique and also refreshing about your take on symphonic metal is you don't use a female vocalist. And I understand why the other bands do because the sound rises above the mix and there's an operatic element yeah. to it. Yeah. But you use your own male vocals. What made you go that direction? Uh, well, the simplest answer is because I'm a guy and I have male vocals. <laughs> Nicely Good done. Answer. Good Nicely answer. Nicely done. Yes. We picked you for a reason. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Well, that's a, that's actually something I've I've uh, wrestled with a lot because I really don't like my voice, and uh, which is a hard thing if you're the one recording yourself and mixing and mastering all that because you spend a lot of time listening to yourself. Um, you know, I would love to have a voice like Matt Smith from Theocracy, but that's just that's not how God made me, and. Uh, you know, I've had to come to terms with that and use what I have to glorify him. And uh, I've even thought about, you know, getting getting someone to do session vocals. I thought about, you know, switching and writing and arranging for for female vocals. But and I'm actually for uh, for the next album. I've got a a, a good friend from college. Uh, it's in the works to have her appear as a guest vocalist. So I am going to bring in some female guest vocals. Um, but I ended up sticking with my own voice because, you know, it's authentic. It's 
it's me yeah. with all the the rough edges on it and you know not everybody is going to like my music uh, for the sound of it not everybody's going to like my music for the content of it but you know it's it's what i have so uh, yeah. i don't want to make it fake and do something else there you go it's genuine yep and that's one of the things that i appreciate especially that comes out in your first album bird's eye view yes we were taking a little bit of a listen to that this afternoon and it's just you it's honest it's real it's you and i think this is what i said to dan it's just you expressing who you are and what's in you and that's really what draws me a lot to what you do it's not that oh cool this is symphonic metal yeah, I could care less what genre you're doing, but what you're doing is real. Barry, uh, do you have a favorite instrument? Uh, to play or to listen to? Uh, to play. Uh, I'm actually electric bass okay. is my main instrument, and that, that kind of I guess that actually. Yeah, it it shows through, and like you mentioned, some of the instrumental Christmas stuff. Um, that that's where that comes from. Do you notice that I, I'm not much of a bass player, but I do write music, and if I get on a bass and do anything, sometimes it is a real vehicle for songwriting. Do you notice that? Like the bass can really drive a melody or trying to come up with something. It can really, yeah. I, I think it because it forces you to uh, to take a different perspective in your approach to uh, to what you're writing. Yeah. How about classical music? Most people that are into symphonic metal ha or perform symphonic metal have some sort of interest in the classics, going back to Beethoven, Tchaikovsky, especially towards the Romantic era of music. Yeah. Oh, what, yeah. What was your first experience with the classical music and composers? Who who are you drawn to the most? Uh, well, I, I couldn't tell you my first experience uh, just because it was a part of my life even from the womb. My, my mom is actually a classical pianist and she performed and taught my whole life. So that, that classical sound was always in the home. You know, we would go to uh, the local college and anytime there were guest artists or seasonal performances, we would go be a part of that. And, uh, you know, a lot of that is how I ended up uh, majoring in music in college. And, and of course, a lot of that focus is on the the classical and tradition and those composers. And uh, my favorites for the big orchestral works, you know, I love Mozart, his later symphonies. I really love Mahler and uh, Schubert. But uh, for piano, of course, Chopin, his preludes and nocturnes are just, they are sublime. Yeah. Um, but probably my favorite composer, just from the compositional point of view, would be Bach. And there's there's so many similarities between Bach and heavy metal, just in terms yeah. of you know how the music works. And that's why you know you see so many neoclassical stuff done on guitar, and you know people shredding Bach and Mozart that stuff. And that's because it works. Bach was a metalhead. You heard it here. Yeah, yeah. Just before electricity. <laughs> <laughs> it really is, and it. What does it do? Just kind of enlarge the genre, really? I mean, it's, it's, yeah. uh, it makes like, I think that Bach or Beethoven would have freaked out at a good metal, a symphonic metal show. They would have been like, wow, this is like, oh, yeah. um, like putting a, a power of 10 to what we were doing in a way. Uh, yeah, they would have yeah. loved it. Yeah, I think yes. so. 
Well, Dan, I'd like to get Bach to my notes to get a handle oh, on this. No. Oh, get me out. Barry, oh, I'm going to come stay with you. I just, I can't. I, I can't. Hey, you got to appreciate a good dad joke. Yeah, okay. All right. I could not resist the temptation. I, I just could not. So how about film scores? Epic movie music in the cinema. Is that something that's influenced you at all? Um, yeah, I mean, some films and composers really grab me, but I, I'm not really specifically devoted to the, the genre in particular. But uh, I guess some of my favorite films that just have top-notch scores, um, Schindler's List. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which I think is, is underrated at times. And then, of course, Lord of the Rings and... Uh, Okay, even though this isn't really a film, but the Skyrim soundtrack by Jeremy Soleil, uh, that's just fantastic music, top to bottom. And uh, everybody says John Williams, Hans Zimmer, and rightfully so. Uh, they're great, but you know I probably like Williams a little better than Zimmer. Okay. And, uh, you know. In my high school years, I really appreciated Danny Elfman. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I really appreciated him. I was so addicted to the Batman soundtrack. When, yeah, that's when I, a great intro to that theme. I just could not I just could not get enough of that. And that really piqued my interest more into, into classical music and symphonic music and orchestral music was that particular soundtrack. And I remember my dad bought me a Casio keyboard and I was going to create something as great as what Danny Elfman did with, yep. with Batman. It never happened. It, it still might, but uh, it, it... Yeah, definitely. It, ne it never happened. A lot of times, and I've seen this, and to me it's just a cheap marketing ploy where you see the lists of, well, if you like to listen to such and such band, let's say Camelot, then a great Christian alternative for you to turn in your Camelot CDs and trade them out and get this one is, uh, you know, I, I can't stand those. It's just a, it's just a ploy. And one of the things that I noticed on your website is that you put yourself out there, not as an alternative to these bands, but a, a unique standard, something that's different, not an alternative, but something that's different. Why do you feel that's so important? How do you stay true to your authenticity? Oh, uh, well, why, why would you want to do that? Why, why be a Christian version of Nightwish? Just listen to Nightwish. I mean, they've, it's been done. They, they nailed it. It's awesome. Um, and much of my love for the symphonic metal genre is that, you know, all, all the big bands in that genre have their own twist. The guitar styles are different. The orchestration styles are all different. The the vocal styles are all different. Even though you know female fronted vocals is kind of predominant, they all do it in different ways. And uh, I could work and study and model my music after one of those bands, but in a genre where each band is so noticeably different, you know that would stick out like a sore thumb, and it would be so easy to tell like hey this guy is just trying to be another Nightwish and yeah. isn't quite as good at it so sounds fulfilling <laughs> yeah i'm gonna be a sycophantic yeah. barnacle on Nightwish. <laughs> i'm just gonna copy everything that they do in 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 my christian version that was big in the 80s there was a lot of metal bands a lot of things a lot of them were very talented and they were i don't 
it was a different environment back then because very different it was like yeah. you would get persecuted like metal that was devil's music right in the yep. 80s and there were a lot yep. of them that did kind of copy um who is it Run to the hills. Um, Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden. Yeah, a lot yeah. of them copied. Everybody copied Iron Maiden. Yeah. It was kind of like that. Uh, they were yeah. trendsetters. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, that, that's one thing that I do notice, Glenn, is that most of the artists that do choose metal or symphonic metal, mm -hmm. especially in the United States, they're genuine. Because yeah. it's not a cash cow. No. You know, go in there and copy <laughs> something, you're going to want to make money on it, right? right? So copy hip-hop or copy pop or something that you can make a dime on. Yeah. But, you know. I, I see yeah. it a lot on the Christian metal forums. It's like, well, I, I like this band and I'm not going to listen to it anymore. Does anybody have any suggestions? And I think what it comes down to, and I'm not trying to be mean or condescending. It's like, I think a lot of people are afraid that they're going to catch a demon listening to one particular band over another band where you can go outside and catch a demon just as easily by walking down the street, you know, or listening or going to going to the wrong church, or going to bro. the wrong church. I think there's a lot of yeah, fear that's, that's, that's involved with that. And I, I understand that because, Hey, I was there once I, after I was saved, I burned my entire CD and tape collection. I mean, we're talking a couple hundred CDs and tapes. And there is a, there is a, you know, if you listen to something enough times, whatever worldview they're promoting will start to sink in. So there is a little bit of that, but if you're mature in your faith and you know critical in your evaluation of what you're listening to, you can you can hold up the lyrics, the content of the band you're listening to next to the scripture, and you know it's easy to draw yeah. what's different and what's on the wrong side of what to believe. You know, and in a lot of ways, I'm glad I did that at that time and mm -hmm. took a step back from rock music and took a step back from metal to grow in the faith. And it wasn't until, you know, just a few years ago, 2010, 2008, 2009, sometime around there, where I started to get back into it again. And it was different. It wasn't like, okay, I need this to adopt a worldview from. It was like, hmm, right. I'm interested in hearing what is coming out of these people. And it's done so eloquently and so right. tastefully and so artfully it's not like oh yeah well now i'm going to go live this way yep. and now a lot of times when i listen to it, it's like oh wow you just gave me another breadcrumb so i can pray for you when i listen, yep. to, listen to the music so it's different you know i don't regret doing that at all and i understand every anybody who's going through that struggle right now well what do i what do i listen to you know i, I get it but there comes a time to to grow and to appreciate god created everything and you understand where things take that twist that's that's not of God, and you can you can deal with that. Paul did that yeah. as he grew in his faith as well. Well, sometimes like right after you're saved, you know, just breaking away from everything, breaking away from you, you just you need kind of a honeymoon. You be, mm -hmm. need to be separated. Absolutely. Your album Reborn, which is your most recent one, and I believe that was released in 2017, correct? Barry? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's correct. That was a full-on symphonic metal album, and I mean, it is just chock full of intense, complex compositions, and you were the one who wrote all of that, you performed all of that, and you produced all of that. How long did it take you to do that? Oh, well, Reborn is a as an album, it's a bit of an odd duck, and at least I think when I listen to it, it, it kind of shows its oddness. Like you said, came out in 2017, but the oldest of the songs on that album I actually wrote back in 2008, and most of them were written between 2008 and 2012. 
and they were all originally written, you know, just me on my acoustic guitar. I mean, that's all I had. And I was actually halfway through recording that album as a uh, pop rock album uh, when I decided to switch to to do symphonic metal. Hmm. So I was halfway through, about eight months in, I decided, hey, let's change, redo this, so, you know, delete everything, start over, and uh, it took me another eight months to finish, and uh, I do have some regrets there. I mean, I set and uh, published a release date before I'd actually finished recording the music, so to anyone out there listening, that's a mistake. Because then you get down to the end and you're like, oh man, I've got this deadline and it's not ready. And so I kind of rushed it and uh, lesson learned. Uh, but it was about a year and a half to to record and produce start to finish. And, uh, you know, I've got, I've got a, an album upcoming planned for later this year. And that one will be at least three years start to finish when all is said and done. Wow, that's a lot of hats to wear. Yeah. yeah. And it all started out as a hobby for you, didn't it? Yeah. And what advice would you give to our listeners who have a hobby, transitioning that from just being a hobby to something that glorifies God? Just do it. Use it as a way to promote the gospel. Use it as a way to encourage others. Whatever your hobby is, know the Bible so you know how to do your hobby in a way to glorify God. Uh, Use it to show your love for God. Use it to show your love for others and to do what you're gifted at. I think the bit, one of the big differences between the Christian worldview and what our culture says, the culture says, you know, you can be whatever you want to be. And that's not true. God created each person the way that they are for a purpose. You are created with certain gifts and abilities to do certain things with them, and I am created with different gifts and abilities to do different things with them. And so, you know, knowing God and knowing yourself uh, are really the two fundamental things to how to live out that purpose in using whatever your hobby is to glorify God. It's very well said. But you just shattered my dreams. I'm. I guess I'm not going to be an astronaut now. Man. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh man, let me yeah. just go over and I sit and cry in the corner. I'll never be a figure skater. So. <laughs> Gymnast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not you know, funny. Funny story there. I was in, when I was like in third grade. I really wanted to be a horse racing jockey. But I, I'm I'm tall. I'm six two now. So when I was in third grade, you know, I was probably five two five three something like that and i told my doctor you know i was like oh, i want to be a horse racing jockey he just looked at me he's like you can't grow anymore the rest of your life <laughs> that's good <laughs> there are two songs in particular on reborn that i'd like to talk about a little bit the first one being the way i, I really like that song your vocals on it really draw me into it can you tell us a little bit about what it is that you want the listener to get from listening to that song, The Way? Oh, well, first, I'm glad you like it. Second, I've got to get credit where credit's due. I didn't write the guitar riff for that song. Uh, that was written by a buddy of mine back in college. Uh, shout out to Zach Cuthin, if you're listening. We had a little garage band in college, and we collaborated on that one. I mean, the first part of that is recognizing what we can't escape. The world around us is messed up. It's broken. 
you know, as Christians, we know that's a result of the fall, that our disobedience brought sin into all things, not just into people. And because of that, we ultimately need saving, not to be saved from some devil that's out to get us, but we need to be saved from our own sin and the results of that sin, our own rebellion and selfishness and how that wrecks ourselves and it wrecks the people around us. But then, you know, you get to the bridge of the song and that's intended to be the high point of the song that there we need to be saved but there is a savior and and that's Jesus Christ that he lived the perfect life and died the death that we deserve because we have sinned and he pays the price so that we don't have to pay that price so that we can have his righteousness and just the simple fact of having faith in Christ that he is lord and he is savior that makes the way for us to be reconciled to God and that's you know that's the gospel in a nutshell and that's what the way is about to get that out there hopefully someone listening to that who doesn't believe will hear that and start to question what they see around them and what they see in themselves and uh, you know hopefully God will use that to bring somebody to repent and believe
another song that you have on there is a complete instrumental. It's an overture and it's reborn. It's the, I believe the title track for your album. And anybody who has had any background in music appreciation takes me back to my days in high school, listening to the Moldau by Smetna, mm. <laughs> where, you know, you're really trying to understand what he's communicating. What is yeah. it that you're communicating instrumentally? Uh, well, I really hate to disappoint you, but there is no story. There is no story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's very much like a romantic era thing to have these programmatic instrumentals that tell a story and, you know, they have themes and characters and all that. But Reborn, the song, I, th- I thought of it and composed it more as the, an operatic style overture that it's just a little a musical sample of each song from the album so as you listen through it you get you know little little quotations out of each song that's cool that is cool reminders of uh of what you've just heard and you know and in a little bit more basic sense a lot of work goes into the orchestrations of the symphonic parts and uh, sometimes the the metal parts you know, over overshadow those. So uh, just an opportunity to let that shine a little bit. There is a story behind it then. In that sense, yeah. 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 But there's, there's not a different story.
I've written some programmatic instrumental sections for uh, the new album coming up later this year. And uh, I know I sent you some as a sneak peek, yes. so I don't know if you wanted to listen to that uh, orchestral instrumental section now. Yes. Well, let's uh, go ahead and share that with our listeners. Is there one in particular that you would like to talk about? Uh, well, that longer orchestral instrumental clip is a story. It's the story of death and resurrection. So just having that big, simple theme in mind as you listen to it, you will be able to interpret the music and understand what it's saying about death and resurrection. Let's uh, circle back to the Christmas music for a minute. Okay. <laughs> I told you. I told you, yeah. this guy, you got to watch him. He's like an elf. <laughs> you have some songs on there that take me back to my younger years growing up in appreciation. In the North Pole. In the North Pole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I couldn't resist. Okay. <laughs> But uh, some of the songs that you have on there, Vinny, Vinny, Emmanuel, you have Low, How a Rose, Air Blooming. Man, that's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's easy to write, but to say. And those were songs that when I was growing up, even before I was born again, I really appreciated because they meant something more than simply having a wonderful Christmas time and, you know, deck the halls with boughs of holly. And there, there's a place for yeah. those. You know, there's there's time for sure. fun. But really, that's what Christmas is about. How did you select the songs for that? And what's your affinity towards Christmas music in particular? Uh, well, you know, it's a shame we don't hear songs like that as much anymore. Those songs in particular are much more contemplative and reflective and not happy-go-lucky, holly-jolly Christmas kind of music. You know, like you said, that's the purpose of Christmas is to stop and reflect the wonder of the Son of God being born as a man. Yeah. And those those two songs are beautiful and rich in their music and in their theology, and, you know, I love them. Yeah. And also the, the strangeness of the lyrics, because they are very old, a, a thousand years old, and they've been translated, so the, the words seem very odd, and it forces us to really actively engage with them 
if we want to understand them. <laughs> and uh, my hope for for those songs, that project, and for any project, is that they would help whoever's listening to be reflective and contemplative, to to ponder the things of God, to know God and love God, and to encourage them as they live out their faith. I've noticed that whenever you translate ancient things, typically, you do have to, it gets a little awkward, but yep. it's fresh. It's like the words that you use kind of create fresh pathways in the brain, you know, to relate gospel truth, and it, it kind of bypasses all of the twangy group think. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. so if you're like, well, you know, and you get your rhythm of what's going on in your church, and the, you got your, the way you talk and the way everybody talks, hey, brother, and you got your thing, and then all of a sudden you read something translated from a thousand years ago or, you know, 1700 years ago with St. Augustine or, or something. Yep. And then it's so refreshing, you know, it switches synapses. It's old, but it's new. Yeah. Yeah. It's old. Yeah. It's like making a archeological discovery yeah, in totally. a lot of ways totally. and going back and seeing there's something about ancient things. People have a affinity. A lot of people have an affinity towards that. It's like, oh, it's, it's a mystery being unraveled right. in, a, in a lot of ways. Well, also just in between languages, it could be modern, but it's like uh, you have a Chinese Christian expressing something and then they say it in broken English and they say it in such a unique way. It, it hits you really freshly. Yeah. You know, so. so with that being said, if we make it another thousand years, what will they be saying about Willie Nelson's pretty paper? <laughs> 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 kind of scary, well, we'll, isn't we'll it? We'll see if it survives a thousand years. Right. First. <laughs> the way yeah. we're going right now, I am not so sure about oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> I am yeah. not so sure. <laughs> Barry, we are going to feature you this month, the month of July, as Lithos Cries Artist of the Month. I really appreciate what you're doing, I, the genuine nature, a lot of talent there. We're going to put your information up on lithoscry.com. That's L I T H O S C R Y.com. But where can our listeners go to get your music and find out more about you? The best place to go, my website is reflection-music.com. You can find me, Reflection of Glory, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, kind of. But a little little bit of a, a soapbox here on behalf of all independent musicians. For any independent, local, regional band that you like, go support them directly from their website. Everybody knows how much streaming is a ripoff for artists, but even you know shopping at iTunes or buying the music from Amazon or whatever, those retailers take a huge cut of the revenue, and for your small local regional artists, that's a big deal. It's not such a big deal for you know the chart toppers, the mega bands, and stuff like that. But, so I'll get off my soapbox now. For all the music you love, do what you can to support the artist directly. Anyway, I'll I'll end that rant now. <laughs> no, that's that's good to know because a lot of people don't realize that when they buy something from iTunes or Amazon, yeah. that all that money is not going towards you. You don't have a jet. You're not living the glam rock lifestyle off of that. Oh no. You know. Oh no. Not even close. <laughs> I would, you know, and to be honest, I wouldn't want the uh, rock star lifestyle. That's not why I do it. The goal is not for me to get rich and famous, but the goal is for me to make good music that, you know, honors God and is great to listen to. Yeah, Dan and I, we ain't doing this to make bank either, so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about yeah. you. <laughs> we need to talk afterwards. Oh, man. Now, 
<laughs> Barry, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, I've loved being on, especially, you know, I've had a chance to listen to you guys and uh, it's it's been fun fun to be here. He's listened to us and he agreed to be on the podcast with us. I'm tired of eking my way through life, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone finally. No, thank you, Barry. It's been a great, uh, great interview. And I, I did. I really enjoyed the bass work, man, on that Christmas album. Sweet. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. So. And for our listeners, if you have any questions for Dan and I, you can reach us at lithoscry, L-I-T-H-O-S-C-R-Y, at gmail.com, and you can check us out at lithoscry.com. And Glenn's going to drink some maple syrup and make Christmas ornaments. <laughs> <laughs> lithoscry.com.